15 minutes ago, the world changed. Companies are microchipping their workers. Robots are hiring humans. And brain-to-brain -brain communication is a thing. This is all happening now. If you want to know what happens next, listen to the Jim Stroud Podcast. There are a lot of mantras. Mantras? 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 Sure. What the heck. Uh, there are a lot of mantras about employer brand, in within employer brand, right? There are things like, if you're going to respond to Glassdoor reviews, don't copy and paste. Don't use the same response over and over and over again. If you're, oh, here's a good one. Uh, no one ever wants to write a job posting. <laughs> Which, hey, it's always a great opportunity for you to pick up, pick that ball up and run with it, right? Uh, but my favorite, and by favorite, I mean the one I'm about to rip apart because that's what I do here. Uh, my favorite is be authentic, right? Isn't that what our employer brand is supposed to aspire to be? It's what they hopes and dreams to be, is to be authentic, whatever the hell that means, right? We all want to be authentic. Somehow uh, we've taken very good work from some very, very smart and capable people, glued it onto some vague notions of what we think employer branding is supposed to try to do, and we've turned it into this very simple mantra that employer brand is supposed to be authentic. And I'm here to tell you it's wrong. It's all wrong. And we'll be right back to talk about why. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. And I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing, I love how it's changing, and I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking, and that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right so we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way ready to rock one two three let's go hey how you doing james ellis here recording live from chicago as per usual uh and by live from chicago i do mean my dining room so do not expect to hear uh an audience clap when i say it's chicago's the best city on earth it's not this kind of podcast but you know that already uh, the standard housekeeping notes apply. If you want more information about employer brand and want to keep up to date and want the best information on what people are thinking and saying about employer branding and how to keep yourself sharp, go sign up for the newsletter, employerbrand.news. It's in the show notes. It is completely different content than this podcast. I know. How do I do it? It's amazing. He rolls his eyes. Otherwise, uh, ask me anything office hours. I'm continuing it for a little while longer. See how long this lasts. <laughs> Go grab 15 minutes to ask me literally anything. You want to show me your employer brand? You want to show me your employer brand question, your problem, your challenge? I have already dealt with multiple startups. I've already dealt with two banks. I've already gotten a chance to hang out and talk to a national park, um, as well as people from countries I have never visited, and I don't know that I ever might. So it's been a big, it's been a blast. So uh, take your shot. Take, uh, come on, use, use this opportunity if you have a reason to. Otherwise, let's get into authenticity, because authenticity is a bunch of bullshit. Here's the deal. Uh, some very smart people, and I'm going to 
point a finger at someone who I deeply respect and actually rather like uh, outside the space because I think the good work she's doing is fantastic, and that's Brene Brown. Uh, this sense that um, you know a lot of the authenticity work can stem from her great books about being brave and being willing to show uh, even the unpleasant emotions. That you know this idea of authenticity is about being your full authentic self wherever you are, wherever you need to be to get you know, to get yourself through the day, to do, that's the best way to position yourself and to, to be. And that's great. I, like I said, I completely buy what she's doing there. Huge Brene Brown fan. The problem is when Brene is talking about this stuff, and let's strip away all the stuff that people like, oh, I don't know, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and the goop ilk uh, of psychobabbles, uh, istas uh, have spread upon this. So let's strip all that off and let's get back to that core of it's hey, it's about, look, this is my truth, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm feeling, uh, I just want you to know it. Now, when Brene talks about this idea of being authentic, at no point does she say, because I feel it and think it, it must be true and that's all there is, which is kind of where the psychobabbly stuff tends to take a weird, funny turn. But it's this idea of, look, I am simply me. I'm a person. I am thinking and feeling these things. That is not the end of the conversation, however. I'm willing to be open to listen to other perspectives. I have, my mind is open. My ideas are open. My feelings may get in the way and complicate things, certainly, but that's just because I'm a human being with a physical brain that is, you know, responds in a certain kind of way, right? We're all still animals, and we still respond to stimulus in certain ways. If you try to bring me a happy idea, but you do it in a way that scares me, guess what? My fight or flight response is going to taint what I perceive, right? I'm just letting you know that I'm having an authentic moment where I'm saying, hey, you really freaked me out. Hey, you really scared me, and it was really hard to hear that message. But now that I've talked it out and kind of opened myself up to it, I'm ready to hear that message, and let's talk about that, right? That's kind of the core of what she was about. Great stuff. Like I said, not going to denigrate Brene at all. None of that. No, no, no. That's not what this is about. However, you can't always take a great idea about an individual and apply it to an organization. Now, this is one of those things where I feel like I've noticed this without noticing it for a very, very long time. In my work, uh, the past uh, day job, Groupon, you know, I talked about this idea that, you know, everybody thinks of the brand as the sign on the wall, right? Back then I used to say, look, everybody thinks of the brand as the big green G. The trick is... As a consumer, that's what I engage with. If I'm opening the app, I open up an app, and the app's color is a big green G on my phone. I click the button, and there I go. Uh, as an employer, or as, I'm sorry, as an employee or a prospect or a candidate, the big green G is the least important part of all this stuff. It just is. Yes, the fact that it shows up in the career site, yes, the fact that it shows up probably in the email signature somewhere of the recruiter, the fact that maybe the logo shows up somewhere in the job posting on Indeed or whatever board you're on, that may, I may notice it. What I'm engaging with is a lot of other things. It's interactions almost always with people right? Uh, if I have a sense that I don't want to work for this company because their customer service is bad, guess what? It's the person I engage with. Now, the, of course, the problem is on the customer service front, 
I don't hate the customer service person because they were evil or stupid or mean. I'm frustrated by the fact that the business had made decisions in which they are going to limit the customer service to bad customer service, right? They're not authorized to make an exchange. They're not authorized to make decisions. They're reading from a script. They are told, they are measured, they are based on uh, how many, how quickly can they get me off the phone, right? I'm mad at the people who made the decisions to build those policies to make a bad experience for me, right? All the stuff that now is influencing my sense of what it's like to work at that company, i.e. the employer brand, is based on what people do. When the recruiter comes at me from this company that I've had very bad con- uh, customer service with and engages with me super, super well and really engage- and really connects with me and builds a relationship with me, now that's starting to erase the other bad feelings about the employer brand. What did that? Who did that? The person did that. When the recruiter wants to show me what it's going to be like to work there, do, does, does that recruiter show me a picture of the chair my butt's going to be in for 8 to 10 hours a day? No. Why? Because a chair is a chair. What they are going to show me are stories of the people I'll be working with. People, 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 people. The employer brand is the people. Now, that's not rocket scientists. That's not crazy. I have not just invented cold fusion here. But I'm reinforcing this idea that your employer brand is there to represent an idea who is serviced by people. And almost always, almost always, that brand, that idea, that concept that's being served by, serviced by people is being serviced by a lot of people, right? It doesn't have to be Groupon-sized companies. It doesn't have to be Google-sized companies. It doesn't have to be U.S. Defense Department-sized organizations. You can have a company of 20 people, and you're still talking about lots of different people. So if you have a company of 20 different people and they're each acting authentically, what is the company? What is the authentic brand of the company? Because we're now aggregating all those people and suddenly we're taking authentic truths from 20 different people or 20,000 different people and we're gluing them together and saying, what's authentic about this? Well, what's authentic about it is it's messy as hell. And that may be the end of that sentence and the end of that paragraph as well as the end of that book. How can I claim to make a brand that's quote-unquote authentic to represent all the experience and all the feelings and all the engagements and all the touch points and all the stuff that is this company in a single brand? In a brand that may be seven words or four words or a single image, whatever it is. How can that be authentic? And the truth is it can't. Because what happens is people are authentic, but they're also people. They're also very much in context. They also exist in a context. So, for example, right before I got sick, my grand, my parents showed up. Uh, they didn't just show up. We, we scheduled that stuff. Uh, and since they don't listen to this podcast, hey, how you doing? Um, we schedule grandparents' visits on a quarterly basis because they're in Houston and I'm in, in Chicago. And... I forgot where I was going. Oh, yeah. How I engage the world when my mother is standing next to me is going to be very different than how I engage the world than when my daughter is standing next to me or how my boss is standing next to me or when uh, complete strangers are standing next to me. How I perceive the world is a function of the context of my life. And that may be I'm in a good mood and I'm in a bad mood, but it's also as simple as who is in my field of vision. Right? If I know my father is standing next to me, or if I know my daughter is standing next to me, I'm going to be different than if I'm off all alone and I think no one's watching me, right? For the most part, most people do that. That's not a, well, 
what's the the maxim or the idea that you know you are who you are based when you think no one's looking? Yeah. I don't know if I completely believe that, because if I think a cop is watching, even if I'm not speeding, guess what I'm doing? I'm slowing down a little bit. That's just human nature. I'm being authentic. I'm allowing the humanness to say fear is engaging with my thought process. That's authentic, right? If I'm concerned about, oh gosh, if I have to have this conversation again with my mother, you know what? I'm just going to not engage with this conversation. Is that authentic? It's just strategic. Maybe it's just not a time to engage in that conversation. Maybe I'm just not going to be, maybe I'm just going to realize, you know what? It's not worth it to try to, to push the point and say, look, I, you were in the wrong uh, co a company. Here's a great one. Um, let's, you, know, we, you go and buy a thing and the company screws something up and they charge you an extra dollar for the thing. Now, will you ask for your dollar back? Well, if I'm by myself and I have time to kill, yeah, sure. It's the principle of the thing. You screwed me up, and I hope you're not doing this on a regular basis, and I'm going to be a little pissy about it. If my daughter's there, eh, no. If my parents are there, no. Is that being less authentic because of the context of who I am? No, it's appreciating the context and understanding that people are the context in which they live. They are the context in which they are in that moment. On top of which, there's also a perspective question. What you see from your perspective about the company, about the experience, about whatever it is we're talking about, is going to be different from the person standing four feet to your left. Why? Because they're literally a different person. They come in with different biases. They come with different sets of expectations. They come with different experiences. They come, Heck, they're probably different height than you. So chances are they're seeing things from a very different level height. They're over four feet across from you, so they're coming at it from a different angle from you. Everything is going to be different. The fact that you saw the same thing doesn't mean that you perceived the same thing. Perspective matters. So think about how incredibly complicated this is making the idea of making an employer brand be authentic. So... And we don't have to get into Rashomon, right? We can do a whole thing on how everybody saw the same thing, and yet somehow everybody saw different things. That's just as authentically human as anything else, right? So how is it possible that you can run an employer brand as authentic when none of the pieces that input into that brand can ever be 100% authentic? Or, in fact, if they are, they don't add up to anything, Right? If you take your company and you say, look, we've, we've got a, a value that we actually mean. <laughs> There's a whole other conversation. Uh, here's a value that we really, truly are driven by and we embrace. We want everyone to do is, and that is we want everyone to come to work and bring their authentic selves. Great. Wow, how does that equal out to an authentic brand? You now have more voices that are cacophonous. And I'm not saying it's bad. Look, if you say, it, I have to bring my authentic voice of being a gay man to the party, that doesn't, that's not bad. I love that. I want you to bring your authentic gay man voice to the, to the party, to the conversation. Be authentic. Does the fact that I'm not gay and you're gay and we engage in stuff, does it add up to being an authentic brand? No. It means we have different perspectives and we're going to find interesting solutions because of our different perspectives. This whole sense of the brand has to be authentic is a, is a red herring that confuses the idea of what we're trying to do is extract some authentic ideas about what you could experience in that company at any given time, and that's what it should be, right? 
if you and let's just stop from being one and two people. If you have 20 people again, and some are gay and some are straight and some are men and some are women and some are white and some are brown and some are black and some are, you know, a whole mix of things that you can't put your finger on, you don't exactly know what it is. And that's okay because they're not going to self-identify. Identify. Thanks for asking. You've also got people who have different levels of disability. You've also got people who have different experiences. All these different authentic people gay, individually great, as a collective great, but as a person who's trying to assign a brand on top of it, my last thought should be, I want this to be an authentic brand because it doesn't mean anything. Instead, I'm going to suggest a different word, a very different word, but I think it actually gets to the heart of what we think we mean when we say stuff like be authentic, and that is the goal should not be being authentic because you should be authentic if you think it's appropriate or as authentic as you think is true. Uh, Seth Godin, I was listening to a podcast and Seth Godin talks about this idea that you should always be authentic to yourself wherever you go is a horrible advice. If you feel like being naked and going to work, well, guess what? You're getting fired and <laughs> that's a bad idea. Sometimes you just got to do the shit you got to do, right? Sometimes you got to just pay the taxes. Sometimes you just got to go take a shower when you don't feel like taking a shower. Sometimes you got to go to the gym when you don't feel like going to the gym. Sometimes you just got to go to the dentist. Am I authentically hating going to the dentist? Yes. Am I still going? Yes. Am I less of an authentic person for it? Apparently, duh. I guess so. I guess that makes me a bad person because I went to the dentist and I was inauthentic. That's where the problem is. So let's focus on a different word. Let's focus on the word credible. That is to say, you should focus on building not an authentic brand, because again, what the hell does that mean, but more as a credible brand. Now, Let's break that apart. Credibility is a function of saying, if I tell you that the work you're going to do here is going to impact the world, that is pure pablum. That is pure, you know, sparkles and rainbows. That is pure fuzzy bunny logic. And hey, let's just make it up and pull it out of our ass kind of thinking, right? If your company is credible, and you say that, suddenly, even the most bullshit phrasing has value. Let me give you an example. As much as I hate referencing the good old Elon Musk, if Elon Musk says, I'm starting a company and we're going to impact and change this part of the world, I happen to know, or at least I happen to believe, that he may not get there as nearly as fast as he says he's going to get there. He has a history of making deadlines and saying making bold claims that take about two or three versions to actually deliver on, but that ultimately he has pretty much delivered on everything he said he's going to deliver on. So when he says we're going to impact the world, he has credibility. That brand, whatever brand he's about to build, has credibility imbued into it. If SpaceX says, what we're going to do is cure cancer, it, it won't, it's not, it's, that's unlikely, I don't think that's a real thing, but I'm going to say, you know what, if he says he's going to cure cancer by next week, I'm going to give him a couple of years, but I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to guess that he's going to figure out a way to do that thing. That means he's got a line on something that he's going to pull on harder than anybody else can pull on right now, and he's going to get there eventually. And that road is usually harder and more complicated than he wanted it to be, because that's life, and it doesn't seem to stop him. He has credibility in those regards. If the same Mr. Musk, which by the way sounds like a, a villain, right? Mr. Musk. Um, 
If the same Mr. Musk says, I am going to build a company that will make people feel better about the dentist, uh, he's got credible credibility in innovation. He's got credibility on make, making bold claims. But this is kind of a weird fuzzy bunny claim now. This is a weird emotional claim. And Elon doesn't do much with the emotion stuff. And he hasn't really made a lot of claims in the emotional area. So now I don't know how credible he is in that space. Is he being authentic? I, I don't know. Is this company being authentic? Now I'm completely lost. Is it credible? Well, now we can evaluate. I feel like I have a tool set in which I can say, do I believe this crap that he's talking about? That's credibility. Is he credible? Is the company credible? Is the brand credible? Okay? That's where you should be focusing your mental energy. That's where you should be focusing your resources. Not on this kind of uh, fairy, you know, fluffy, you know, pixie dusty kind of sense of uh, authenticity because again, Brene Brown means authenticity in a very specific, meaningful, direct, individual, specifically way and that's all well and good. But your idea is that you should be focused on being credible. Now, that does not make your life any easier. Point of, point of order. Um, I did not just give you some sort of magic bullet to make everything better. I did not just say, don't worry about being authentic, just be incredible. Oh, good, that's easier. No, because credibility is a function of multiple touch points and experiences all aggregated. And each new touch point and experience has different impacts on the credibility overall as you go on. So, for example, you go to a really nice meal and they bring you a great cocktail and you drink that cocktail and you're like, I cannot believe anyone would put sage in a cocktail, but this is delicious. I don't know. And then, so what they've done is they've established, hey, we're going to break some rules and you're going to find it delicious. And you drink the cocktail and you go, hey, this is delicious. And you go, haha, I have set expectations and I have met expectations. Guess what? First course. Okay, great. Here is a marshmallow that looks like a marble and it looks like a tiny little marble statue of the Vatican and when I taste it, it turns into smoke in my in my mouth and it suddenly feels like I've eaten a blueberry. What? That's amazing. You've now reset the expectation. Here you're going to see and, and taste some things you never expected to and we're going to meet those expectations. Da -da 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 -da. You add on, you add on, you add on. So by the time the fifth course comes on, I'm going, ah. Is, is it just going to be, he's going to think meat and I'm going to taste meat? Is that what's going to happen? That's going to be amazing. I mean, the bar is really, really high. Now, the game that the company, the restaurant in this case, would have to play is they don't want to start you off at the high note and kind of work your way down. You have to keep building up. You keep have to meeting and, and managing those expectations. Because at no point were they going to be able to say or think meat and have me taste meat, they're always going to have to say, look, we may be kind of reaching the top level of all the magic we can do, but let's show you different tricks using the same kind of magic. And you're like, great, set my expectation there, keep meeting my expectation there, that's great. What if the last course is a plate of french fries? Now, bear in mind, I love french fries. French fries are great. With ketchup, without ketchup, don't care. Barbecue sauce sometimes, sure, let's go crazy. Bit of aioli, ooh, that's great stuff. French fries are wonderful. But after all this magic and you bring me French fries, even if you say, look, we're just going to keep it simple, it's a palate cleansing French fry. A phrase I don't know anyone's ever said before. They're setting expectations. They're saying, okay, look, 
there's some other different ways we can be interesting. And maybe what they say is, look, after the last thing you ate, this suddenly very salty French fry suddenly tastes extra good. And maybe that's the magic they're trying to provide you. Look, it's a different kind of magic. Credibility, credibility, credibility. Setting expectations, meeting expectations. Setting expectation, meeting expectation. Boom, 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 boom. Over and over and over again. That's building and setting credibility. That's what you should be doing. You should be looking around your entire organization, your entire company, and looking for all the places in which it is making some sort of claim and then ways in which it might not be meeting that claim. Here's a great example. You say you provide great recruiting experience and you pride yourself on having no black holes. Okay, great. Okay, great. Fantastic. Well, maybe not fantastic. Maybe that's a B minus, right? The fact that you don't just take resumes and throw them into a trash can and ignore them, congratulations. That still puts you in the top half of most companies these days, I think. Now, let's say what you said is, okay, since I've told everybody I can't have a black hole, what I'm going to do is I'm going to automate, using my ATS, I'm going to automate the process of saying, thank you for applying for the job. Now, by having sent the automated email that goes out 0 0.0003 milliseconds after the resume has been received, directed email back to the, the user, you feel like you have contractually closed the gap and you're saying there's no more black holes. Does a candidate feel that? Or does a candidate go, well, that's an automated email. Got it. Whatever. That doesn't count. That just says you got it. At no point does it say you've read it or you've considered it or you've even, or that this was a, one of those roles that was already kind of earmarked for somebody internally and that you legally had to open it up to see if somebody amazing would show up and they're, I'm just not amazing enough, I guess. Um, what, do you, what does the candidate mean when they think no black holes? Well, maybe what they think is that it means that they will be getting a letter that says, hey, even if it's just an email, sorry, not a letter, that says, hey, we, uh, cha we, we've closed this rack, we've given it to somebody else, sorry, you, you are not part of the going forward, whatever that is. Maybe that's enough to be considered not going to a black hole. Okay, let's call that enough. And of course, I do think you do have to enter into what does the candidate think and what is the candidate's expectations, or in the initial email saying, look, Hey, thanks for applying. By the way, we're doing our very best to make sure this is not a black hole. If you get next steps, you will get an email or a phone call. If you are not moving on to the next stage, we will let you know in a timely manner, likely in the next three weeks. That might be amazing. Okay, so here you are, priding yourself on managing an employer brand in which there is no black holes. And because life is life, and, because, and HRS people will now laugh and or moan or, or groan. Uh, something happens where a setting somewhere means that quietly weeks of emails, those outgoing emails, never went out. Software update didn't quite go as well as worked. Uh, a mail server didn't, you know, kind of went kablooey for a while and stuff is stacking up back there, but nobody's checking it because it's worked for so long. Who checks that stuff? You don't check every single function after every single update. Why would you? And months go by. And suddenly, your big feeling good about we don't have any black holes is incredible. You don't understand why it's not credible, but what you're not realizing is not being executed as well as you thought it was. And let's be fair, you've set the bar nice and low here. This should be pretty easy. It's an automated email. It's two automated emails. That's the problem is that because you set an expectation, the company is so complicated, there's so many different ways it can either meet or not meet that expectation. And your job is to go, okay, here are the primary benchmarks of the things we're supposed to be meeting. Where are the ways in which we could be screwing up? And keeping an eagle eye on them. 
What does it mean to say that you're creating relationships or that you're building good relationships, especially with high-end candidates, with executive-level candidates or even director-level candidates? What happens to say, you know, that you say, look, we know that we can't just expect people to apply and sit and wait. Um, we're going to build good relationships with them. Okay. Does that mean you give, I don't know, uh, feedback if they don't get the job? Or do you just say thanks but no thanks? Do you get an automated email? What do you do? When you set these expectations, what are you doing? That is what delivering credibility is all about. Now, I'm going to add one more wrinkle. Credibility is 100% local. It is individually focused. So you can do this right to every single one of your customers, to every single one of your candidates. And if you miss one, that one person thinks you have no credibility. It is not a averaging. You do not have a 99.9% .9 credibility rating. You might have a 99.9% .9 net promoter score, whatever. You are trying to be credible to everyone, and you have to understand that there's someone you have been not credible with. You have not built your credibility with them. That's a fail. And when you fail, you fail hard there. It's a pretty binary response. People either find you credible or don't. There's no kind of like, yeah, sure, I guess, mostly. I mean, sure, there are gradations of it. Uh, you know, would I trust uh, my sister with my daughter? Yes, I find her incredibly credible as a caretaker of my five-year-old daughter. Would I find her credible if I gave her my entire life savings and says don't lose it? No, I don't find her credible as an investment analyst, right? There are different there's different kind of gradations in some of that stuff, but that's not what we're getting at. We're talking about this idea that do they find you credible as a communicator of employer brand information? Now you might say that employer brand information is kind of a weird thing that only you and I nerds kind of think about, but the truth is candidates do know the difference between a consumer message and a non-consumer message. They understand that if they're applying at Sears and they have a positive or negative candidate experience at a Sears and then they get an email from Sears saying, hey, there's a sale, they understand that those are different. Is there a complete wall between them? Not necessarily. There's plenty of data that says if you treat your candidates poorly, they go out and cancel your accounts, <laughs> your consumer-facing accounts. But they do understand the difference. So when we say that credibility is local, what we're also saying is that individuals matter. And that kind of goes back to one of my earlier points, is this concept that employer branding is not about the sign on the door, it's not about the logo, it's about the people. And that is where the real mantra of what we should be focusing on, and that is employer branding happens in people. It happens because of people, it happens to people, and it happens you know, to the candidates who we have to treat as individual people. Employer brand is people. But I will say this as I kind of wrap this little rant up. I feel like it's been a while since I've had a good rant. There we are. Um, and that is authenticity is, in fact, a byproduct of being credible. If you focus on being credible, if you focus on setting the expectations of what you're going to deliver, how you're going to deliver it, when you're going to deliver it, to whom you're going to deliver it, why you're going to deliver it, and you meet those expectations, the outcome is that people see you as being authentic.
Now, the nice part about this is at no point will we ever have to ask people, how are you defining authentic? Because that's where the kettle of fish get opened up real wide. Uh, but you will, if, if asked in a survey, if asked uh, or, you know, they will have those positive feelings of, yeah, they, they seem pretty authentic. Yes, uh, that I knew that that would be a hard company to get into. They didn't sugarcoat it. They didn't make it seem like it would be a super easy job. I didn't get the job. I totally understand why. They gave me good feedback as to where I was falling short. That was useful information. I have total credibility in their thought process, and therefore they feel authentic to me. That is a 1,000% win. Please note, at no point did we define what the authenticity part was, right? It wasn't about, yeah, they were acting in their own truth, right? That's where things get really messy because it was the recruiter acting in the truth, the hiring manager acting in the truth, the employer brand manager acting in the truth, the hiring, uh, the talent acquisition director, the CHRO, the CEO, does the person who, the sourcer, the, 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 uh, the specialists who walk them around the office, were they all acting authentic, authentic, authentically? Hard word to say sometimes. It's a tough word to do a rant about, I'll tell you that. Maybe, who knows, that's not the problem. If they got credible information, they felt like that company was acting in a credible manner, if they could validate the information they were getting, the offshoot, the knock-on effect, the byproduct is a sense of authenticity. So... Maybe we stop saying things like be credible or sorry, be authentic and we start saying things like, yes, authenticity happens when we are credible. Maybe that's a more effective mantra. Maybe that's what we should be saying to each other and saying to ourselves as we try to do the job. That's what I had to say. Thanks so much for listening. As always, appreciate the reviews. Appreciate the, the comments. I appreciate you sharing on Twitter. Um, yeah, you know, hey, there you go. Thanks so much and I'll talk to you next week. All right, bye-bye. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple of ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or Let's just talk. That's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me. Let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.